Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello and good morrow, everybody. I am happy once again because my wonderful boyfriend, Max, has once again upgraded my sound system because he is just a gem. So shout out right off the bat to that wonderful human being who has truly stepped up my game. Much appreciate it. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show, but the microphone that I'm using now is actually the same model of microphone that Bill Collins, the singer, would use on stage. Like, it's not the exact microphone that he used to use or anything like that, but it's the same model, whatever. Um, So I'm really, I look really, really cool. And I always have this instinct to just hold the microphone in my hand instead of keeping it on the stand in order to have like a little pop star moment. But I haven't done that yet. If I ever do, there will be a reel about it on Instagram, I'm sure. (laughs) So this week, I wanted to focus on two topics primarily. One that is very, very dark and disturbing, trigger warning for gun violence, death, so on in that realm. And the second one is purely for fun, to help us drag out of the more sad and negative story that I'm going to start with. So like I said, trigger warning to gun violence, mass shootings, so on and so forth. At about 10.22 p.m. on Lunar New Year, January 21st, at the Star Ballroom Dance Studio in Monterey Park, California, a mass shooting occurred, killing 11 people. Although I do have to say, since I started working on my notes, I have seen some people listed as 12, but I feel like I saw 11 in most of the publications that I read from. Either way, this is the deadliest mass shooting in Los Angeles' history. The perpetrator was identified to be a 72-year-old man who died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound during a standoff with police the following day after there was quite a manhunt for him, but I'll get into the nitty-gritty of the story in a little bit. What is important to note is that the man who perpetrated this violence was an Asian American man. He was either of Chinese or Vietnamese descent. There is some uh, differing records for him. I'll get into that again in a little bit. And Monterey Park is in San Gabriel Valley in Los Angeles County, which is just about 10 miles away from downtown L.A. And Monterey Park residents are 65 percent Asian. And in 1990, it actually became the first U.S. city on the mainland in the United States to have the majority of its residents of Asian descent. So particularly with this happening on Lunar New Year in an area that is very populated with, you know, Asian Americans and immigrants and so on and so forth, at first hearing about this 
shooting, especially living so close to where it happened, I figured that it was definitely some sort of hate crime and that was the motive behind all of this. But in reality, the motive really isn't that clear for why this man decided to do what he did. So the dance studio that he initially targeted is Chinese-owned and was holding a Lunar New Year countdown dance party from 8 p.m. to 12.30 a.m., which was not an official part of the festival and festivities that were going on in other parts of Monterey Park for Lunar New Year. On regular days, the dance parties at the Star Ballroom are usually attended by older Asian Americans. Max actually works with someone who was at the festival that day and knows the owner of the dance studio, Ming Wei Ma. And I kind of took a moment earlier to envision what kind of establishment this was. And it seems like a place where you would go to kind of like live out your youth, like the old school dance halls that were kind of a thing, I guess, in probably like the 50s and 60s that aren't really around anymore. I can see, you know, that generation really enjoying having a place to go and dance and have fun and let loose and feel young again. In preparation for the festivities, tens of thousands of people gathered in the area for the largest Lunar New Year celebration in Southern California as part of this huge festival. Gunfire was initially reported at the dance studio at 10.22 p.m. 42 rounds were fired into the dance hall. An unnamed witness told the media that the gunman was, quote, shooting everybody, even shooting some victims again while walking around. The owner of the studio was reportedly the first to rush the shooter, but unfortunately was killed in the process. A dancer named Yu Kao was killed shielding others from gunfire. The gunman then fled the scene and Monterey Park police responded within three minutes of the first 911 call. When they arrived, they saw, quote, individuals pouring out of the location, screaming. I also wasn't able to get any more information from any of the sources that I read, but I did read in one source that it took police a reported five hours to then alert the public at large of the shooter on the loose, although the information was shared through police scanners and with other government agencies. People like you and I were not aware of the danger that was going on, which I think is really irresponsible. About 17 minutes after the Monterey Park shooting, a second incident occurred in Alhambra where a gunman entered the Lai Lai Ballroom and Studio. Brandon Say, 26 years old, whose family owns the studio, confronted the gunman in the lobby, wrestling the gun away from him and chasing him out. And I'm sure you've seen this video online. If you haven't, I'm going to post it tomorrow along with the episode on the Instagram page because... This kid is a goddamn hero, an absolute hero for doing what he did. Because once he was able to wrestle the gun away from the perpetrator, the guy fled in his white cargo van and was later identified as being the same man who had opened fire in Monterey Park. So this guy had two dance studios that he had targeted within less than 20 minutes of each other. Luckily, authorities linked the two crimes together rather easily because he was identified by the weapon that Brandon had seized from him. Then a manhunt for the gunman ensued. The second day of the festivities were canceled as well as all sporting events involving teams from Los Angeles. 
During this time, Joe Biden instructed the FBI to provide its full support to local authorities and later offered his condolences and had the flags at the White House flown half-mast. Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass called the shooting, quote, absolutely devastating. And Governor Gavin Newsom told the public that he was, quote, monitoring the situation closely and visited the victims in the hospital. In the early afternoon the following day, nearly 22 miles away from the second attempted shooting, police pulled over a white cargo van whose plates appeared to be stolen, matching the description from Brandon at the Alhambra Dance Studio. As officers approached the van, they heard a single gunshot coming from the inside. They retreated and asked for tactical units to respond. When police arrived at the initial shooting location in Monterey Park, they found 10 people dead inside of the ballroom, consisting of five men and five women. The 11th victim, Diana Manling Tom, died at the LAC-USC Medical Center the following day after the attack. Another nine people were injured in the shooting, seven of them remaining in the hospital to treat their injuries, some of them in critical condition. All of the victims were between the ages of 57 and 76, according to the L.A. County coroner. When family and loved ones of the victims were interviewed, they all described their family member as loving to dance and always smiling. I think that dance and smiling definitely go hand in hand, and I feel like coming together in the dance hall to have a good time was probably a great release for many of the people who would attend. How sad that something so positive and so lively can turn so dark. Now, not a whole lot is known about the motive for this crime, but I do want to talk a little bit about the gunman's background, because I think some of the facts can help us draw some sort of conclusion. This is to say that no motive would ever be good enough to justify the shooting and killing of multiple people. But in my opinion, motive is important in order to learn more about the psychology of the perpetrator in order to help prevent future devastation. His marriage license indicated that he was from China, but his immigration papers state that his birthplace was Vietnam. He came to the United States in 1990 or 1991 and settled in San Gabriel, at one point living in a home that was only a five-minute drive from the Star Ballroom. In the late 90s, he met his wife-to-be at the Ballroom Dance Studio, where this shooting would occur a few days ago, where the perpetrator gave informal lessons and was a regular patron. Now, I feel like this could go one of two ways. I would really hate going somewhere to dance and then have somebody coming up to me and trying to instruct me. But I guess if you were like really charming and sweet, it would be fun and I would enjoy maybe like getting a few pointers. But this guy seems like a real jerk. After meeting at the dance hall, the two married in 2001. However, he filed for divorce four years later and the divorce was final in 2006. His ex-wife was recently interviewed and said that he was never violent with her, but was quick to anger. Also, according to a friend of the perpetrator, he had been claiming that the instructors at the studio were saying, quote, evil things about him. I don't know if this was a long time ago in the 90s or if this was more recently. It's not very clear in the interview. CNN chatted with a few other people who had known the gunman at some point in time, including a man who knew the shooter for 20 years before having a falling out with him eight or nine years ago. This guy said the gunman's personality could be described in two words, distrust and hatred. 
He said he hated whoever he thought was not nice to him. There were other dance instructors he did not like at both dance studios. He was arrested in 1990 for possession of a firearm, but didn't have any criminal history. But that makes total sense to me because if he was arrested in 1990 and came to the United States in 1990, chances are he wouldn't have much of a record in the States. Lastly, at 72 years old, he became the second oldest mass shooter in United States history. I want to jump in and apologize that I'm losing my voice a little bit. I'm still getting over some of my symptoms from my sinus infection, so I apologize for my voice not sounding super awesome at the moment. Thank you for bearing with me. This mass shooting was the third to occur in California in almost a week, preceding a house shooting in Goshen and another shooting in Half Moon Bay, killing a total of 24 people. Former Assemblymember Mike Eng said at the vigil for the victims, We will move forward with more enthusiasm and more love, because the only thing that defeats hate is love. According to the Gun Violence Archive, a mass shooting is an incident in which four or more people, excluding the perpetrator or perpetrators, are shot in one location at roughly the same time. There were seven mass shootings alone on January 1st, 2023. They occurred in Mifflin Township, Ohio, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Oscala, Florida, Clinton, Maryland, Durham, North Carolina, Chicago, Illinois, and Allentown, Pennsylvania, accumulating seven dead and 25 injured. Then two more mass shootings occurred on January 3rd in New Orleans and in Washington, D.C., accumulating one death and seven injured. Three more mass shootings occurred on January 4th in Dumfries, Virginia, Baltimore, Maryland, and Enoch, Utah, accumulating 10 deaths and 8 injured. Eight of these 10 deaths occurred in one incident in Utah. Two occurred on January 5th in Miami Gardens, Florida, and in New Orleans, accumulating 2 deaths and 13 injured. Two more occurred the following day on January 6th in Dallas, Texas, and San Francisco, California, accumulating 4 deaths and 5 injured. On January 7th, three more mass shootings occurred in High Point, North Carolina, Lee Township, Michigan, and Huntsville, Alabama, accumulating 11 deaths and 13 injured. Two more mass shootings occurred on January 8th in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Albany, Georgia, luckily resulting in no deaths, but eight were injured. On January 9th, the seventh straight consecutive day on the list, there was another shooting in Minneapolis, another in Philadelphia, and one in Denver, Colorado, accumulating three mass shootings resulting in three deaths and nine injured. There is then a four-day break in the list, picking back up on January 13th, where there was one shooting in Cleveland, Ohio, resulting in the death of four and one was injured. No shootings occurred on January 14th, but on the 15th, four more mass shootings occurred in Homestead, Florida, Phoenix, Arizona, Rockford, Illinois, and Houston, Texas, which accumulated five deaths and 13 injured. Three more mass shootings occurred on the 16th in Goshen, California, Fort Pierce, Florida, and Sanford, Florida. Eight people passed away and 16 were injured. Another mass shooting occurred in Houston, Texas on the 17th of January. Luckily, no one lost their lives, but four were injured. One mass shooting occurred on January 18th in Lynchburg, Virginia, resulting in no deaths and four injured. 
Then there was the shooting in Monterey Park, which spanned between January 21st and the 22nd, resulting in 12 deaths and 19 injured. This is where I was getting conflicting information. On January 23rd, four more shootings occurred. One in Dodge City, Kansas, one in Chicago, one in Half Moon Bay, California, and another in Oakland, California, resulting in the deaths of 11 people and 16 injured. The final date listed on this table was January 24th, where two more mass shootings occurred in Yakima, Washington, and in Red Springs, North Carolina, resulting in seven deaths and one injured. From January 1st, to January 24th, 2023, 86 people lost their lives in a mass shooting, and 179 people were injured. Until there is serious policy change and change in our gun laws, this will continue to happen. Unfortunately, nothing that I can possibly say or anything that anyone else seems to have to say is going to change the mind of the people who are so protective over their gun rights, but hopefully one day enough will be enough or someone will be in power with enough power to be able to take control of this terrible situation epidemic that's going on in our country and be able to take hold of it in order to save lives. Okay, I'm going to go get a cough drop during this commercial break and I'll see you in a little bit. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I am back. Now, I would like to completely shift gears and go into something completely silly and ridiculous. I'd like to talk about the M&M controversy. The beloved spokes candies for the M&M company are taking an indefinite hiatus after Tucker Carlson created mass hysteria regarding the candy characters. This is absurd. The M&M is among one of the oldest candy brands in the United States, and these beloved figures have been part of the M&M advertisements for years and years. Tucker has spent close to a year on Fox News wasting everyone's time, attacking minor brand changes, calling some of the new characters, quote, woke. And I don't know about anybody else, but I feel like the right uses the term woke way more than anyone on the left. Tucker Carlson, who has regaled himself as a champion of the, quote, victims of cancel culture, began a culture war of his own against the candies until they were literally canceled. Last fall, Eminem introduced a new purple candy, which Tucker described as obese on the show. Though the purple candy is roughly the same size and shape as her yellow and blue counterparts. 
after the brown M&M swapped stilettos for lower block heels and the green M&M traded in their go-go boots for sneakers, Tucker Carlson said that, quote, M&Ms will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character is deeply unappealing and totally androgynous, and that when you're totally turned off, we've achieved equality. All I got out of that statement is that Tucker Carlson finds the M&M characters and other cartoons sexy and they turn him on. I don't even want to think about his porn search history. Other Eminem fans took to Twitter, and publications like the Washington Post wrote articles on their opinion of the whole thing, with one article titled, The Eminem Changes Aren't Progressive. Give Green her boots back. Which is true. Who says you can't wear go-go boots and be progressive and a badass? Why did we have to take the stilettos and make them a little chunky heel? Like, I get it. We're making it maybe more modern and things like that, but I think inclusivity isn't really necessarily being made here. So after this controversy has gone on for a long, long time, a statement on Monday was released by the M&M's company. It said this. America, let's talk. In the last year, we've made some changes to our beloved spokes candies. We weren't sure if anyone would even notice, and we definitely didn't think it would break the internet. But now we get it. Even a candy's shoes can be polarizing, which was the last thing M&M's wanted since we're all about bringing people together. Therefore, we had decided to take an indefinite pause from the spokes candies. In their place, we are proud to introduce a spokesperson America can agree on, the beloved Maya Rudolph. We are confident that Miss Rudolph will champion the power of fun to create a world where everyone feels they belong. I can't help but think this was incredibly tongue-in-cheek. Skittles, owned by the same parent company, Mars Wrigley, responded to the tweet saying, Our thoughts go out to the spokescandies. Given the mass amount of attention this controversy had caused, some are projecting that the announcement is a PR stunt to hype up its upcoming Super Bowl commercial, much like how Planters killed off Mr. Peanut and had him born again in 2020. Some think that they may be just trying to regain control of their narrative as it has spun out of control. Gabrielle Wesley, chief marketing officer for Mars Wrigley, North America, said, quote, The original colorful cast of M&M spokes candies are, at present, pursuing other personal passions. We love the dedication to the bit. So in this research, I found the history of M&Ms to be pretty fascinating. So here's how we got to this particular moment in time. A guy named Franklin Clarence Mars was born in Hancock, Minnesota in 1883. We love a good Minnesota story. And learned to hand dip chocolate candy as a child from his mom, Elva, who entertained him while he had a mild case of polio as a kid. When he was 28 years old, he opened the Mars Candy Factory with his second wife, Ethel V. Mars, in Tacoma, Washington. Frank had had a child with his first wife, Ethel G. Mars, he has a thing for Ethels, in 1904 by the name of Forrest Mars Sr., who would eventually take over the company. The Mars Candy Factory sold wholesale candy, but the business would eventually fail due to a better established business doing the same thing in Tacoma. So they moved back to Minnesota in 1920 and landed in Minneapolis, where Frank founded the Morrow Bar Company and began to manufacture candy bars. It was Little Forest who came up with the idea for the Milky Way Bar in 1923, which instantly became a best-selling candy bar. 
Frank developed the Snickers bar in 1930. Unfortunately, Frank would die due to kidney and heart issues in April of 1935, and ownership of the business was passed down to Forrest. Before Frank's death, there was a dispute on how the business would run. Boris wanted to expand abroad, and his father did not. But now Forrest was in charge and can do what he wanted. In partnership with Bruce Murray, Mars developed the M&M Candy, a little piece of chocolate covered in a crunchy shell which melts in your mouth, not on your hands, in 1940. Forrest had first come up with the idea during the Spanish Civil War when he saw that soldiers liked to eat chocolate pieces coated in a hard sugar shell because it didn't melt as easily in high temperatures. Because the men both had last names starting with the letter M, the candy was named M&M's for Mars and Murray. Originally, M&M's was only sold to the U.S. Army as they entered World War II. It was because of this exclusive deal with the Army that meant that the soldiers coming home raving about this candy actually made it even more popular in post-war years. They began stamping the letter M on the candies in 1950 after other companies began copying their idea. They also became the first candy in space in 1981 when they went aboard the space shuttle Columbia. They have since been a favorite candy among astronauts for the same reason why they were popular with soldiers in World War II. Sales began to slow in the 90s, but then they unleashed the Spokes candies. They came up with four anthropomorphic M&Ms, each with different personalities, consisting of red, yellow, blue, and green. They later added brown, orange, and purple. Now, we have Maya Rudolph, who hopefully will be wearing go-go boots instead of sneakers, for Tucker's sake. All right, everybody, that is all I have for you today. If you have any topic suggestions coming up, whether it be for a mini news episode or for a full-length episode, I would love to hear your ideas because every once in a while, it's tough to think of them on my own. So please feel free to email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. And I want to remind you once again that the best possible way to support the show is by going over to the Apple Podcast app and leaving a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy it or going over to your Spotify app and rating the show there. I also wanted to mention one more time that the Patreon book club is happening in February. I just haven't gotten the Patreon page revamped and set up quite yet for you all, but it will be happening very shortly. I've got some really exciting book ideas and things like that. So just a reminder, the Feminist Book Club will be at a $5 tier and there will be two episodes a month covering the book that will be the topic of conversation that month. A reminder for what February will be, I am reading the book Barracoon by Zora Neale Hurston. So feel free to purchase the book, read it online on your Kindle, listen to the audiobook, whatever, and uh, join me on Patreon next month and we will talk about it. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to another episode. That's all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hello, I'm Faith McQuinn, creator of the podcast Margaritas and Donuts from Observer Pictures. I think we can all relate to the awkward, clumsy moments during the start of a new relationship and the sweet moments as well. Margaritas and Donuts is about Josephine, 
a pediatrician who's been pretty unlucky in love, as she starts a new relationship with Malik, an ophthalmologist that works in the same building she does. Malik is exactly what Josephine needs, even if she doesn't know it yet. With the support of her bestie Katrina, Joe navigates the ups, downs, sweetness, and saltiness of romance. Get your rom-com fix and listen to Margaritas and Donuts wherever you get your podcasts. You can learn more at md.observerpictures.com. Happy listening.